Welcome to the Lancet Respiratory Medicine Podcast. I'm Aaron Van Dorn, speaking to you from the Lancet's New York office. On Saturday, April 22nd, thousands of scientific researchers, doctors, academics, and members of the public will take to the streets in the U.S. and further afield to highlight the important role that science plays in our society and advocate for better science funding and education. The main March for Science will take place in Washington, D.C., and satellite marches are scheduled to take place in many other cities around the world. I spoke with Dr. Jonathan Berman, co-chair of the March for Science and one of the original organizers, about how the march came together, its plans for the future, and the role of politics in science. I also spoke with Dr. Elliot Hout, Vice Chair of Quality, Safety, and Service at the Department of Surgery at Johns Hopkins Medicine and an active trauma and critical care surgeon who will be marching on Saturday about what the protest means for him and its relevance to critical care medicine. Dr. Berman, you're a co-chair for the March for Science. How did you become involved with the idea of a March for Science, and what do you think the march can and should be understood to accomplish? Well, my personal involvement started in late January. I saw the idea being discussed on the Internet, and I thought, someone should do that. And I realized that I'm someone, so I decided to try and make it happen. And the closest analog I had seen was Reason Rally, which had happened in 2012, and it was a large gathering. So I set up a, a website and a Twitter account for scientists marching in, on Washington, which is what it was called at the time. I started tweeting to the people who had organized Reason Rally. And in that discussion, they uh, shared or they retweeted my account and that caught on uh, with their followers and that caught on with their followers. So my plan of having 10 followers by the end of the week who could now form a, a council to try and start planning a march for science and figuring out how to get followers was completely upended by having something like a million followers by the end of the week. And so we, we very rapidly had to start actually planning an actual march and all that entailed. With regard to what it should accomplish, you have to be realistic about what marching itself can actually do. It can draw attention to things. It can make a big media splash, it can get people involved, and it can make people invested. And I think that's what's important. It's making people invested in being vocal advocates for science. And once that investment exists, and they come home from the march in whatever city they participate in, then they can go out to the PTA meeting or to Kiwanis clubs or Rotary clubs and talk about science so they can become science fair judges, or they can write letters about legislation to the Congress people, or do all of the sorts of things that actually make change happen. So what I'm really hoping for long term is a change in the culture of science itself that allows scientists and science enthusiasts to be more willing to speak up for science in the public sphere. As the politics surrounding climate change show, politics and science are inextricably intertwined. But what role do you think politics should have in science broadly understood? Do you worry that by aligning your political person explicitly with your scientific person, you'll undermine your attempts to build consensus for your science? Well, I'm not a climate scientist, and there aren't a lot of politics around the kind of research I do. But it's impossible to do science that's completely divorced from politics, because there's politics in the decisions made about who gets funded, there's politics in who gets accepted to graduate programs, there's politics at every level of the scientific enterprise. 
so we like to think of science as completely isolated from the the society it's it's being performed in and political entities, but the reality is that there is an interaction. Science as an enterprise is going to receive this input from the political world of of people deciding what its funding should be, how its results should be interpreted, how decisions are made in politics using evidence generated by scientists, then it stands to reason that scientists should also be giving output back about how to interpret that data, uh, what the data means, and and really how society should talk about science. And that doesn't mean that scientists should be in Congress or should be the ones deciding what the approach to solving climate change is. That does mean that when we produce data, we should be willing to stand up and back up that data. What comes next after the march? Will you continue to be engaged with the grassroots organization that's been built? And how will you approach politics and science during the Trump administration? Well, I'm a postdoctoral fellow, and I've, I've kept on full-time in the lab while organizing. I've been in the lab during the day and organizing at night. My plan for my career and my life is still to, to be an independent investigator and, and run my own lab. So to me, I'm, I don't consider myself to be an activist. I think that the relationship between the scientific community and the activist community is tenuous at best and probably always will be. And a lot of the activists I've interacted with through March for Science want a very wide tent for, for non-scientific issues or issues that aren't directly related to science. So in a lot of ways, the role I want to continue to have is is trying to make sure that politics and science don't get so mixed that scientists become considered just another partisan group asking for money or asking the government to fund them because of their special interests. I want to keep the science science, and that's how I want to continue working through March for Science. And the organization is going to continue. Yes, there's, there's the one big event, but there's also ongoing efforts that we're going to be working on. In the week after, there's going to be the Week of Science Action, and we're going to be releasing details about ways people can continue to be engaged. And then on, going on after that, we're hoping to build an organization that continues to fight for all the things that the March for Science exists to fight for. Well, Dr. Berman, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you. And up next, I'll speak with Dr. Elliot Hout. Dr. Hout, how did you become involved in the idea of a March for Science, and what do you think the March can and should be understood to accomplish? I actually first got involved in this via social media. I had heard about it online. I realized, wow, that's actually a great idea to get our ideas about science across and get people to listen. My wife and daughter went to the Women's March, and especially for my teenage daughter, it was a real eye-opener to see a lot of people getting their voices heard. I think we're in a tough place right now where what we as scientists know to be the truth is being questioned by people who are not experts in the field. And I think the first thing is to to take the scientists who often don't, many of us don't have a strong political angle or political interest, not that we've ignored the political implications of it, but we haven't really focused on that. And I think now 
as a clinician scientist, I realize it's really important to keep doing high quality science, but make sure that everybody understands it's right. It's the right thing to do. And the work we do is it's the right thing for patients. Whatever that science is, we have to make sure that we're able to do it. It gets funded. It gets believed. It gets implemented. It gets utilized. As the politics surrounding climate change show, politics and science are inextricably intertwined. What role do you think politics should have in science broadly understood? It's tough when you do high-quality science that's been peer-reviewed by the experts in the field and, and all the experts believe and agree on something, and then non-experts don't believe it, challenge it, fight against it, use political will, political capital, political spin to do what you know, we as true scientists believe is the right thing, whether that right thing has to do with climate change. And in my personal opinion, I'm no climate scientist, but I think the evidence is pretty clear that humans have somehow been associated with climate change. And I think for people to say that's not the case, I, I feel bad for those scientists who've, who've spent their careers showing that. And when people who are non-clinicians, non-physicians, non-researchers come and tell me my science isn't right because of an agenda they may have or an opinion they may have, it, it doesn't feel very good. Do you worry that by aligning your political person explicitly with your scientific person, you will undermine your attempts to build consensus for the science? No, I think it's actually very important now, probably more so than ever, that the people who do the science also have to be the people who promulgate the science and implement the science. So the similar thing goes with, along with social media and surgical science or medical science in general. People used to say, well, if you're in the social media aspect and you're just getting your papers out there and you're on these newscasts or whatever, that's, you're not a real scientist. But I think more so now than ever, it's really important for the lay public to understand the science that we do and translating that evidence that we publish in scientific journals out to the public, I think, is absolutely critical. And the same goes for politics. If we do science on some major infection or trauma care or whatever the thing is that shows the benefit of a certain approach, then if the science shows that, the same people who've created that science should have a voice in the political sphere, in the political arena, to make sure that the work that we've done can improve the care for our patients in the future. What comes next after the march? How will you approach both politics and especially your work in critical care during the Trump administration? So interestingly, I had never been a very political person. I had never been to Capitol Hill and protested. I had never been to Capitol Hill and advocated for anything. And then most recently, actually just the end of last month, I participated in an advocacy day for a group of trauma care professionals, physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, ICU physicians, et cetera, that worked together to advocate for improvement of trauma care. So we went as a group to Capitol Hill, to Congress, to educate the importance of the science we've shown and reminding people that these are actual people. When they're injured or whether in the ICU for something else, there's data on what we should be doing and we should be providing the highest quality care to those patients. And I worry that in this arena now where there's so many other things on the minds of politicians that 
they can sometimes forget that these are men, women, children who are ill or injured and need the best science to try to save them. And I think we need active clinicians and researchers to be at the forefront of reminding the politicians of why we do the things we do. Dr. Hout, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Sure, thank you.